Welcome to another edition of Family Office Real Estate Insights from the Family Office Real Estate Institute. My name's DJ Van Karen, and today we have an interview with Andrew Pitcairn of Pitcairn. Uh, this is a family that has over 600 family members, but they also act as a multifamily office for over 100 families around the world. And they take a look at the a holistic perspective, which is very important uh, for families. And uh, today we're going to be talking about family office councils, as well as investor policy statements, an area that not all families have in place, but a very, very important part of uh, family office planning. So let's get into my interview with Andrew. So welcome to another uh, podcast of um, Family Office Real Estate Insights. Today, I am very excited to have uh, uh, a good friend of mine and, and somebody who's very, very well regarded in the industry, uh, happens to be a board member of the Institute as well, Andrew Pitcairn. Andrew, thanks for being here. DJ, thanks for having me as always, and I'm really thrilled to participate. Great. Well, you know, one of the things that I was talking about before is that, um, you know, with the Family Office Real Estate Institute, one of the, it's all focused around research, uh, education, and community with a focus on the real estate component, of course. However, you know, one of the things that's different about us is that we just don't focus on real estate. We're also focusing on the family office components of that because it's really intermingled, <clears throat> right? And and we have what I call the soft side of uh, a family office and the hard side, the hard side is the investment components, right? And the soft side is dealing with a lot of the issues that you may have internally with the family or, um, you know, when you're talking about future generations and, and whatnot. So um, why don't you give me a minute and tell me a little bit about you guys. You have a fan, fascinating um, uh, family story and, and there's just a few of you uh, which is probably growing all the time. So why don't you take a minute and tell us a little bit about you guys? In your no, family. I appreciate I appreciate that. And let me just also say that that's one of the things that really attracted me, DJ, when you reached out with the opportunity to participate in four is that as a non-real estate professional in the family office setting, the, the chance to learn about real estate and how families implement real estate um, over generations is really, I'm really curious about but also the ability for us to share kind of how we do our own investing um, in different sectors, how we view, you know, family governance and decision-making and what all of these interplays contribute to multi-generational success. So thinking about success, not over one, two or five years, but success over 20, 50, maybe a hundred years. Um, and to that extent, we've got a little bit of experience there as you alluded to. Uh, and I, I won't belabor this, but for the sake of a little bit of history, uh, my great-grandfather came over in uh, the mid-1800s, worked on the railroad, oil and gas, and then eventually was one of the founders of Pittsburgh Play Glass. So PPG Industries was our founding company. Um, that was back in 1883. He had three sons, and those three sons formed our family office in 1923. So anybody looking at the calendar realizes we are celebrating our centennial this year in 2023, 100 years as a family office. Uh, very proud about that. And when I think about some of the things that have allowed us such success over generations is the ability to kind of embrace change, the ability to, to reinvent ourselves. And I think the ability to learn about different 
opportunities and different ways of, 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 of viewing ourselves and reinventing ourselves that has helped us in this longevity. Um, so from 1923 to 1986, we ran as a single family office for the Pitcairn family. And as you said before, we are now a Gen 7 family with hundreds and hundreds of people in our family. So um, that's another discussion. But in 1987, we, we had a big liquidity event um, divesting out of Pittsburgh Plate Glass and then opened up our doors in 1987 as a multifamily office, Pennsylvania Charter Trust Company. So I'll pause there. I hope that's helpful for the context of this conversation. Well, um, so the total number of family members within the Pitt Karens, uh, I believe it's you surpassed 600. Is that right? For sure. I was I was trying to avoid the the, the the question of what is the real number, but I would say between six and seven hundred is is absolutely okay. accurate. Yes. <laughs> so so it's more than fifty or hundred. Let's put it that way. It's, it's it's quite significant. The other thing too that I have to bring up, which I love, is your what was it your um your grandfather's uh, brother was it that created a uh, something that we see every single day, right? So actually, uh, that's a good point. My grandfather, actually, Harold Pitcairn, was an aviator uh, by birth, by trade, and by profession. He was a lifelong aviator, and um, one of his big passions in the mid nineteen, uh, excuse me, nineteen twenties, was rotary flight. So before helicopters were invented, so he uh, partnered up with a gentleman named Juan de Sierra out of Spain. And they had put a rotor on top of a stubby-winged airplane and created what was called the Pitcairn Siervo Autogyro. And it was literally, like I said, a little airplane that had a rotor on top. And you could it would fly like an airplane, but also could take off similarly to a helicopter. We owned all the patents to that autogyro. And from those patents were, was born the modern-day helicopter, yes. Yeah, which I think is just fascinating. It's, you know, and... You know, I talk about all the time about how it's very unique to have, uh, you know, a patriarch and then their their daughter or, or son creates their own wealth. You know, here it was brothers, right? Yeah. So it must have been, there must be something in the family. Um, so, you know, one of the, the things that, um, in fact, it, one of our board members too, I got introduced years ago. And one of the things that I said to him, because he was asking me about family offices, I said, look, there's certain things you have to get in place. And, you know, I brought up governance, right? And that was one of the first things that he went out to. Um, and um, he, he went after, you know, some other things have to do with internally within the family. So your official title is what? Couple of different things, but the first thing you'll you'd probably notice on my LinkedIn profile is family council chair. Okay, so in our we have a you know we've been tweaking with our executive education program at the institute and trying to include other components, like we said that you know for you it's real estate. So I want to understand more about that. Well, you also have real estate people that are like I need to understand the other <laughs> side of the coin, right? And that's why you're so valuable with your experience and and with what you guys are doing there, but we're going to be talking about family councils. That's one of the things and investment committees. So tell me, you know, what's a family council, right? You've got a beautiful uh, title, but tell me what the family council is, how it works and why it's important. Sure. It's, it's a great question. And, and, you know, different family councils like different family offices take on different agendas, different meetings, if you will. But I think there's some some tried and true, by and large, things that we can all agree on. Um, and let me back up by a minute for a minute and just say, 
I think one of the challenges that, that we all have as humans, as family businesses, as family enterprises, we like to focus on the things that we know. And it's, it can be really um, daunting to take on things that we don't have expertise in because there's inherently fear and anxiety un, underneath of, of, of the unknown. What's going to happen if I open up this, this Pandora's box? And so for us, um, what we realized, uh, I would say, in the, in the 1960s and 70s, as our family grew to hundreds of members, as we've already established, uh, that we didn't have formal governance practices in place that allowed the family a place to come and uh, maybe just talk or be better educated or become involved in the family business or even be able to voice a family problem or gripe or something that we needed to be aware of. We basically just wanted to, we, you know, we, we ran with the things that we knew and it was really challenging for us to hear things that maybe people were complaining about, if you will, as our family grew. And so because of a, a family rift that we had in the 1970s, we realized we needed to figure out a platform, platform for, to, to really, I would say, educate and listen to the broader family and ownership group, if you will, which is the Pitcairn family. And from that was born our, what we call the family council. Family council is a, is a term in our industry. Um, again, that is really a non-voting. It's not a powerful, um, a power play platform. It is a place that family members usually can come to learn about the family legacy, um, family values. Uh, if there's an operating company, learn about the operating company, become more involved if they want to. If there's a family office, learn about the family office. And our family council took it a step further, perhaps. Our family council states in the charter uh, that one of the biggest missions is to identify and educate family members who have an interest in having a more formal role in the family office. That would include whether they want to be a co-trustee on family trusts, because we are a trust company, whether they want to be a director on the board of directors, because we have different classes of directors, family directors and independent directors, or they maybe they want to be an employee in the family office. If they do, what are the qualifications for that? What's the pathway to that? And how do you get more involved? So that's kind of a broad overview of some of the things that our family council has done and continues to do as um, today. Okay, so on the other side of the coin, um, and we were talking about this before, you know, investment committees um, and, you know, making those decisions, right? And when you include... Um, family members in the decision-making or not. One, I would assume that that's part of the family council, you know, bylaws or, or what you put together for that with investment decision-making or who's involved in that. So, you know, uh, DJ, that's a, that's a great question. And our, while some family councils do become involved with their own families investment policy statements and their investments, our family council does not. Um, we have a, we have chosen to have a separate professionalized investment committee that, that sits within our family, our multifamily office. Um, so the family itself does not have a, uh, their own investment uh, committee, if you will. Okay. But, but you do have an investment policy statement for the family. Each in, so, so yes, there are investment policy statements, I would say plural, because we, as uh, you know, since we, our family is so large and we work with about 125 other uh, families in the, in the in the country and internationally, I would go so far as to say that most families, families now, right, the Pitcairn family is the name, but there are hundreds of households underneath the Pitcairn family. Each one of those households may have their own and probably do have their own investment policy statement as to 
What do they need? What are, their, what are their gifting needs? What are their cash flow needs? What age are they? What is the appropriate allocation within their investment policy statement to give them what their wants and needs are? All right. So when I when I explain to people and I say, look, you've got the the hard I, the easiest way for me to explain it was the hard side and the soft side. Like I said, right. So your yeah. hard side is the um, is you know where it's it's the investments. Where are we going to invest? How are we going to invest? What are we going to do? And then the soft side is dealing more with the family dynamics and the generations, right, and things like that. So, yeah. so that's safe to say, right? So there's sort of two separate components, right, between the two, but yet they they work together, right? It's not like one and not the other. You really need to have both. You know, one of the things that, as you know, Andrew, I've worked for a number of prominent families and a billionaire on the on the real estate portfolio, but also within the family office. And I've gotten to know a, a lot of families um, over the years. And you have these families that spent their whole life building a very successful business, right? And and I want to see if 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 um if uh if you think no, what I'm saying is not right, if you're like, no, you're exactly right. So they spent their whole year, their whole career building this business. They did it with great people. They did it with quarterly reporting. They did it with goals and objectives and follow-ups, right? And and taking a look and how are we doing and how we did. But then when they exit that business, it's like they forgot what got them there. And they think, well, now it's because it's a family, you know, office. It's like they don't think about. Am I wrong about to say that, or is that what you see? Okay. I, okay. I think that's, I think you said that well, and I think it's, it's, it's apropos, you know, you have some real hard drivers that go and they create wealth and they, and they're, you know, to, to the hard drivers don't know kind of where their blind spots are and how to bring people into the fold and how to collaborate with the, with the right individuals so they can move that forward. I think that there's a, there's a shift a lot of times when it comes to the way people view their own family. And because wealth creators are, are, are so driven much of the time, it can be easy to say, I know what's best. Let me tell you what's best for you. And that can be really, really difficult. So I call, I always actually say the one side that you're talking about, the investments and the planning and the building the business, I call that the technical stuff. And then I call the the, the more, the, the other side, the kind of the, the, what people call the mushy side. I call that the hard side. The soft side is really the hard side. But to your very good point, they're not bifurcated all the time and you have to co-mingle them. And as an example of this, what you were just saying is, Let's say that your family grows. It's really easy to be unified when you're five people, right? People say, you know, I'm going to choose to be unified. I'm going to choose to, to, to be okay with whatever mom and dad say. But as people get farther down the generation, you know, they have their own wants and needs and families grow and, 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 and what they want changes. And so let's just pretend a group of your family says, well, I want to invest in this. And the other group in the family says, well, I want to invest in this. And then another group says, and you see how that goes. Now you've got different people with different philosophies and, and it can get really contentious within a family system. If you don't have open, transparent, inclusive dialogue, I want to say this real quick. People often confuse these things. Two words, transparency and inclusiveness. They are not the same thing. You can make a decision that no one likes and say, well, I told you I was going to make this decision. That's transparent. But to be inclusive is to say, we have a decision that needs to be made. I realize that there's more people than just me that are going to be affected by these decisions. 
How about we can sit around and do the best we can to figure out what works for the majority of the people? And if we have to bring an outside consulting or a mediator or someone to help us think through how we make effective decision-making as a family so we stay a family, and they put that as a priority, that's inclusiveness. And, and that right there is probably one of the main factors why, you know, that statistics of 70% of the families lose their wealth by the second gen, 90% by the third gen, because there isn't that inclusiveness, right? Yeah. There is that not communication. And, and it seems like, you know, a lot of the younger generations, one, don't even want to participate necessarily, right? They definitely didn't know how to create the wealth, right? So it's sort of, I give an example, like people that win the lottery, they usually lose the money because they didn't create it, right? And, and But they have it. And I think, um, I mean, is that one of the, the, the challenges that you do see with a lot of families that they don't have that inclusiveness or family, the younger gens really don't want to deal with it and say, you know, just I'll just do my thing, you know, or I want to focus on this or send me the check or whatever. Would you, would you say that? I, you know, I, I would say that. And, and, um, but I want to dive into that a little bit because I, what, I, what I want to be careful is that I'm not, I'm not pretending to speak for other people or other generations, certainly, but I think what you're suggesting is true in a large degree. And that is the the next generation or the inheritors of the next generation sometimes feel like they don't want to participate. And there's different reasons that I've heard for that. One of the reasons is, I think, and you, and you, I think I heard you allude to this, is, well, they're not wealth creators. Maybe they are wealth creators. How do we support the next generation's ideas, interests, cultivate them so they can actually be wealth creators? Not, not everyone is going to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Um, but by and large, people that have ideas and, and passions, how do we as family offices and family enterprises support those visions. Um, I think that can be really challenging. And I think to the extent that people don't feel supported, now they don't want to be a part of something. So people say, oh, well, this was your idea. You created the wealth. You're going to run things the way that you want. You've never really asked my opinion as next generation. So I don't really feel invited. I'm just going to go do, I'm, I'll go do something else. Well, that, that comes back to the inclusion component. Right. 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 Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm, this is not true for everybody, but I've heard a lot of times the next generation feeling like they wouldn't, they have not been included. And so then the question is, well, why don't you participate? No one ever told me that you wanted me to participate. Nobody ever invited me. There's, there's no, a lot of times there's no format to, hey, we're inviting you. We're having family retreats or family meetings or an annual family reunion or a shareholder gathering. What are the mechanisms for people to include family members and actually invite them into a conversation? So, and, and once again, I mean, like you said, and I agree 100%, I mean, there are families that really have their act together. You guys are obviously one. You don't get to the seventh gen without that happening. Um, but there are, you know, and, and I'm sort of, um, I don't mean to be making a blanket statement. I'm just bringing up some of the issues that sure. are typically come up. So, okay. So with that being said, and we're talking about, you know, the, um, uh, investor policy statement and the family council right now. What are some of the things that you see? I mean, you'd mentioned you guys not only have your family, but you work with over a hundred families around the world, right? Mm -hmm. And different families are in different, you know, they have different net worths. They have different number of family members. They have different, right. There's all these different variables. 
There, there are a lot of, what's the majority, would you say, things that you see that, let's say I'm a brand new person and uh, and we're talking strictly about these two areas right now, right? So I just, mm-hmm. I just sold my company for, you know, half a billion dollars. What would you say I need to be aware of that you've seen families uh, make mistakes or do something before something else? What would you, what would you say? That's a, that's a great question. And um, I was actually just asked this question, believe it or not, uh, the other week, someone who is, is, is probably going to sell their family business and said, I don't know what I should, shouldn't, can, and can't talk to my spouse about, you know, what, what, how do I approach this? And um, what I hear from a lot of people is by and large, we're going to sell this company for X amount of money, you know, call it a hundred million, call it a billion, whatever the number is, lots of, lots of money, right. And lots of change. And there's, and with that comes anxiety. Um, and I think the, the unknown is what drives people to not talk about anything. It's, there's so much unknown here, but in the, in the, when we don't have open dialogue, people will make their own assumptions, right? Your, 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 your extended family will make assumptions. Your kids will make assumptions. Your grandkids make their own assumptions. And sometimes these assumptions are, are, are dreadfully wrong. Um, and I think that, that we do a disservice with, you know, in today's world of, of technology and the internet and stuff, people can Google, you know, their families and their, and on all kinds of things. And, um, you know, coming from a, a father of a, of a 15 year old, it has always been important for me and my wife to have age appropriate conversations about wealth and about legacy and about family values and what wealth means and what you can accomplish with it. Um, so I, 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 I'm probably going off on a tangent here, uh, and, but I'm trying to answer your question. I just feel like you know, when, when people fall, have worked so hard in all their life to accomplish um, having enough wealth to do what they want, quote, in life, maybe they're doing what they want in their family business, but you know what I mean, they, they've created wealth, they've created multi-generational wealth, and the planning for that wealth when it comes to what you were talking about, we'll call it the hard side of things for this conversation, the, all the planning, but then they tend to not want to dive into the, to the, the, the more emotional side of that. That's where the biggest pitfalls are. Because people don't know what's expected of them. Did you know that 80, I think that the statistic is over 80% of trust beneficiaries, so inheritors of wealth and trust form, say that uh, that the trust at, at some point in their life has been burdensome to them. And when you ask them why is it burdensome, they say, because nobody ever prepared me or told me why this was being given to me. Right. So what is it? What is what's the meaning of this? What, what you know, what were the what's the intent of the grantor? And what and what should I be doing with this? And what are my responsibilities of this inheritor of wealth, not just to myself to be responsible to myself, but what's my responsibility towards society? What's my own kind of investment policy statement that I'm accountable to? So I give back and find purpose in life outside of wealth. How do you find purpose when you don't have to do anything? So I just think that's a big hurdle that people need to talk more about. And it's difficult. I'll tell you one one of the things that you brought up um, that family you know real multifamily offices don't focus in on and and don't really push is the education side. And I know yeah. a number of years ago you even hired somebody to focus in on the education, right? Component of it. Did you guys come to that decision? Because you know that that's not just saying education. I mean that is like saying no. This is needed. We're making a statement. We're hiring somebody specifically for this. 
So how did that come about and, and um, what does that education include? That, that, that's a great question. And that's one of those things that we learned over the years. And, and, and I'm very humbled that you said earlier, you know, how did, you know, you guys got to seven generations by doing things right. And I, I, while I appreciate that, I would say that we got to seven generations by being able to largely, hopefully, learn from our mistakes. We made a, 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 our own fair share of mistakes. All families do. So I don't want to sit here and tell you that, you know, we did everything correctly. But I think the ability to look back and, and, and say, you know, we learned a lot from the things that we didn't do well. We're willing to share those things with other families, the things that we didn't do well, in the hopes that they can find, learn and find solutions to things. But yes, we found that that for ourselves and for, for all families, education is, that uh, I think, the one of the highest topics that we need to really be focused on. And it goes back to what I was just saying, education about your family and legacy. Um, you know that one of the biggest indicators of a teenager's, or actually not even just a teenager, but the biggest indicators of someone's continued happiness is the ability to, to relate to their past. That's a, that's a true statement. The ability to understand where you've come from, where your family's come from, from struggles to success to struggle to where you are today. To be able to understand that journey is not linear, right? It's, it, it's, a, it's a wave. It's a journey of a wave. And so when families understand where they've come from, members of family understand that. It's an indicator, a true indicator of their happiness that, that, um, that they just understand that journey. I'll say this. Education should be around the family values, the family legacy. Um, the family business, if there was one, uh, all kinds of things, family trust, inheritance, age-appropriate education along the generations is very, very important. But I also think education, people forget education, I think, has another side to it. A lot of times we want to just teach the next generation. Let me, let me teach you these things. One of the biggest things to be educated about is the listening part of things. If you just ask the next generation the right questions, I'm willing to bet you they'll tell you if you just say, I want to listen to you. So listening to me is a big part of education, listening. But I, I do want to say, to your point about hiring someone for education, to us was very important. We, we actually uh, hired uh, a colleague named Amy Hart Klein, who is our chief knowledge and learning officer. And she has developed numerous programs, one of which is called the Gen 7 Project, which is a next-gen education program for our clients' children. Um, and so it's to do exactly what we're talking about here, make sure that they are prepared for life's journey whatever that means for, for, for their individualized family's needs, um, whether it's they have a family business or they're inheritors of wealth, that there's a place that they can come together and talk to each other about um, some of the challenges and opportunities about being uh, from families of means. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I met a gentleman, he's passed now, and he, he sold his company. I mean, I, you know, obviously I won't say who it is, but it was a fair amount. It was like 400 million. And he gave me his card. I have it still to this day. His title was investor in training, which I absolutely loved. Yeah. But what he did is, and he was telling me this, and I was just fascinated by it. He would give the grandkids like $1,000 and say, you need to choose what charity you're going to give this to. And yeah. all of a sudden they got engaged and they started realizing, oh my gosh, I really need to choose something that is I'm passionate about that I like, you know, once again, it goes back to the involvement, right? It goes back to the, to, um, you know, the, the teaching, right? The whole part of it. Now, one of the things I will say you know, over the last couple of years, and you've been doing this for a long time, but um, 
uh, a lot of people have been saying they're a family office, but they're not really a family office, right? One of the things that we that I say is I'm like, look, if you're um, if you're helping with the investments but not helping with this what I call the soft side, right? The family issues, the dynamics, the planning, you know, um, the transitions, et cetera. You're really an RIA, right? You're, you, it's not holistic. And that's really what you guys do, right? I mean, you, but you have to. You have to take that whole holistic component, right? Now, for us, you know, I am, I am the believer that, you know, real estate can help maintain that legacy and to build additional wealth. Um, because there's so many benefits to it. But at the end of the day, if you have all this money or you have all these assets, it doesn't mean anything if there's not that family council component, right? That investment policy statement, that communication, that education, that the involvement with the family, right? I mean, you, you can't have one without the other. Um, uh, and I assume you'd agree to that, right? I'm biased, but I would agree to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you, Andrew, this is this has been fantastic because you know too too often we get into um, you know we'll talk about like I said real estate, but there's so much more to that and and what wealth brings. You know, um, what made you guys transition into helping other families? I mean, you've got you've got you've got. Plenty of people within your family. It's not like you've got 10 or 20 people. I mean, you could literally, you know, I mean, that that's, you have your own quote unquote multifamily internal family <laughs> office, right? But why did you start having other families? How did that whole thing happen? That's a great question. And there's a, there's a couple different facets to that conversation. So I'll, I'll, I'll say this. When we divested out of Pittsburgh play class. And we found ourselves without an operating company and without our legacy operating company. We have been asked, you know, for, for a long time about for, from outside families, Hey, why can't you do what you're doing for the Pitcairn family? Can I come on board? Can I, so there was, there was outside interest for a long time to join our platform. We just always said, no, this is for the Pitcairn family. When we, when we found ourselves in a situation of, 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 selling uh, our block of Pittsburgh Lake glass, we, we wanted to continue the legacy of entrepreneurship. Very, as you said early on in this conversation, entrepreneurial family. And we realized, you know, this is back in, from 1923 to 1986, you didn't have technology. You weren't outsourcing things. Anything you wanted to do, you built it. And so we built everything that we needed. We had the infrastructure. We had a 90 person single family office. So we had a lot of, of, of horsepower and we simply said, you know what? We have demand, we have expertise, we have the, the, the structures in place because we built it for our family and we want to continue being entrepreneurial. It just, to us, it was very, very natural just to say, oh, you know what? We're going to now become a multifamily office. Now I want to say this because I think it's fair for me to say, you might think it was like throwing a light switch. It was not. It was a lot more difficult <laughs> to go from single family office to a for-profit multifamily office that, you know, with growth incentives and, and profitability and shareholders and different things like that. So um, it wasn't as simple as just saying, oh, you know, we woke up one day and we were a multifamily office. Lots of care and planning. And it took us a significant amount of time to figure out 
how do we really uh, fit into this ecosystem of multifamily office and how do we excel at it? And, and of course, now we are here we are, as I said earlier, 100 years as in the family office ecosystem. And um, I'll say this, I don't really enjoy the term multifamily office because I think it kind of institutionalizes it. We are a true family office that does family office services for 100 plus other family offices that want a thinking partner like Pitcairn. Well, you know, the difference too is if, if I went out and I mean, you have that family experience where, where, and you, and you were doing it yourselves before, right? Yeah. And, and so you can literally say, hey, this is the mistakes we made, or this is what we did that was successful. And, and so now it's, you know, families love talking with other families and, and it's sort of a, you know, it's, it's mono a mono per se. I'm sure though, is that as you started taking on other families, it also helped your family because you were having to dig in deeper, right? Into other areas. So two, two last questions for you here. I don't have a, uh, I'm a family, um, you know, I just sold my business. Um, what would you say uh, or suggest when it comes to an investment policy statement? Wow. You had to give me advice in regards to just the investment policy statement. What would you say? I would say a couple of things on that. I would say, first of all, craft one. <laughs> a lot, lot of people don't. They just, there's no kind of rhyme or reason. They just go do things. The next thing you know, they've got this, this, this basket of different investments that they're not quite sure where they fit. Where do they, what is your investment policy? What is your thesis? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, so I think I think get some help with someone to help you craft an investment policy statement that makes sense, not just for you, but for, for the generations to come. How do you do that? Um, I think that's the biggest challenge. People don't have them. Um, um, and then what you, I think you said, what's your second thing? And about the that? second thing is that, OK, now I'm going to ask you the same question about family council, having a family council, you know, uh, you know, looking into it, putting one in place. You know, once again, I just received all this capital. What would you say about family councils? So whether it's a family council or an advisory board or a just a family constitution, right? There's different names for kind of platforms where the family can become involved and educated. I would, again, I would say this. And we, we've done this too, even in our family. Ask for outside expertise. Grab a family business consultant, someone that you that you want you've known, or someone that you that you you've come to know that you jive with, that you feel comfortable with, that can help you navigate the the inherent ups and downs of families. Because um, without outside people helping push push things along, it's like pushing a string up a hill. You, you can get so far and then it stalls, and and people tend and there's no accountability around it. So I find even with our family, as as much experience as we have. If we need outside help, we'll bring in one of uh, some outside consultant to help us think through what our next iteration is trying to do. The same as I would recommend for other families: find someone that, that can help you achieve, clarify, achieve, and put a plan in place for your vision for the now generation and for future generations. I just think it's it is money that will pay back exponentially. Well, it's and you'd include in there governance as well, right? You know, it's funny, DJ, I have to say this, governance, I've used the quote, governance is this big word, and I think it's scary to some people, governance. Governance really means figure out the process that works for you and your family, institute some guardrails around it, figure out how to have transparent and inclusive conversations, and most importantly, 
value yourself and your relationships and your family system. That's the, that's that's good governance. Good governance is, is telling people that you care about them, that you want to have a conversation, that you want them to be part of something and that they feel included because when people feel included, they want to be part of something broader. And I just think that's what that's the that's what's underlying this big, scary word that we use called governance. Well, I'm going to tell you, and I'll finish up on this, Andrew, um, because I think we we could go on in many other directions <laughs> as well. But, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, I, I say that I'm the, uh, uh, you know, with real estate, I mean, I'm an evangelist that I'm just like, this is what's going to help you maintain the wealth and 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 build a legacy because of the being a hard asset and everything else. However, can't have a yang without a yang, right? So that is so that is why what we just spoke about is so so important, and why these are the topics that we include in the exec ed program when we have our summit coming up. This is going to be a, a topic of conversation because you know you can't really have one without the other, right? I mean, you could have all the best. Um, conversely, you could have all the best policies and, and everything in place and, and family council. But if you don't have any money, you don't even need that. Right. <laughs> so it goes, it goes one, one in another, but Andrew, um, thank you so much for uh, participating today. Um, this was great. And uh, you know, we'll have to um, do this again, maybe into another topic because what you guys are doing, I think is just fantastic because you know, you are including the education uh, component of it. I do know that you brought on somebody on the investment side internally, but once again, it's not like it's just this whole through multifamily office is cohesive, right? Yeah. And, and that's what's important so that people can be just like you guys and get to the seventh generation and, uh, and beyond. So thanks for being on today, Andrew, and um, I'll look forward to talking to you soon. DJ, thanks for having me. It's always great. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon.